are a peculiar bunch around here, right? And I'm not just talking about the staff. Y'all knew that. Knew the staff was was kind of crazy. And, and I'm just telling you, you hadn't seen the best uh, friends video yet. Uh, you have to keep coming back. There'll be one here in a minute. And and then uh, we got two more in this series. And we're saving the best for last. So you got to be here on August 30th if you want to see the best video of the friends series. Now, we all have crazy stuff that's happened to us, right? We could all sit around and we could tell stories about the crazy things that happened, the crazy circumstances that surrounded us. And, and we all could have those stories, right? For example, um, scars. How many of you have physical scars? Okay, most of you. I think everybody. Some of you just don't like to raise your hands in public places, especially in church, because dude might call on me. Most of those scars have stories that go with them, right? Or, or did you just wake up one day and go, dude, where'd that come from? Now, in this crowd, I know that some of you woke up and went, dude, where'd that come from? I, I know that. But the point is, someone told you the story and now you can repeat the story. You know, so there are stories, even if you don't remember how you got that scar. Um, <laughs> so we all have stories that, that go along with our scars. For, for instance, you know, I was looking at one that I have here. I got this scar on my right index finger during baseball season, my junior or senior year. I don't remember which year it was in high school and long, long story short. I was mad at this young lady and she'd done a lot of stuff and I was mad and, and I said, you're going to get it. And, uh, we didn't know how to do tar and feathering. So we were going to get honey and dirt, rocks, whatever. We we're just, we we're going to, I, I was quite upset with this. So we did, we held her and I poured the honey all over. Well, I was called by an authority figure to come inside the building at, at school. And so I go inside the building while I'm inside the building. She proceeds to rub all of the honey off of herself onto my car. Windows, doors, paint, everything. And and then, you know, I kind of lost it. And so I go running out there. Well, she's in her car and she drives off. As I turn around to go to the building, she starts coming back towards me. As I go towards her, she drives off. Well, the honey jar was sitting there and my friend said, here, chunk this at her. And, you know, so I thought, that sounds like a good idea. So he hands me the honey jar with the lid. He goes, it's kind of messy. Hold it here. Well, when I took it, the honey jar falls. About that time, I'm called by the authority figure back in the school. I have to go back in. So I pick this up, I run towards the car, and I throw the broken honey jar. And I felt a sharp pain in my index finger. And I looked down, and, and it wasn't bleeding much because there was honey all over. I missed the car, by the way, and ripped open my finger. During um, baseball season, coaches were not real happy with that. I missed several weeks of baseball because that's my right hand. That's my throwing hand. And uh, then when I was able to bat, they put me in as designated hitter. I had to have this protective thing on. You talk about looking like a dork when you go to the, the plate in high school baseball doing this. Uh, ah, I've, got a, I've got a scar that, that's right above my right ankle that happened to me when I was in third grade. A friend of mine said, hey, come look at my clubhouse. His clubhouse was underneath what was a dry cleaning shop. And Dipstick says, hey, I'm going to start a fire because this is our clubhouse. And so he starts a fire. Well, the fire gets out of control. So I start stomping out the fire. Well, back then I had on my nice little black nylon socks underneath my blue jeans. I'm stomping out the fire and the fire catches my nylon sock on fire and it melts it to my ankle. And uh, oh, third degree burn. My friend takes me home and, and on the bicycle, you know, I got my legs sticking out and riding down the highway on the bicycle, <laughs> you know, just great stuff. Good times, good times. Um, mom throws me in the bathtub and runs water on it. You don't, don't do that to a third degree burn. 
I was on crutches for several weeks, and to this day, no hair or anything. It's weird looking. It's just people like, what's that? Well, let me tell you about that scar. I've got a scar above my right eye right here. And I I actually had to look in the mirror to figure out which eye it was because it happened so long ago. When I was a freshman in high school, I played football and I played band. And one of the traditions in the band was toward the end of marching season, the, the seniors and the freshmen would get together and play touch football with the sophomores and juniors. There would be this big old competition. Well, there was a guy, this junior guy, he's a big old dude. And when I was a freshman, I might have weighed 118 pounds soaking wet, you know. And so this big old dude was on the other, and he did not like me. He was always talking trash on me. Well, they kick the ball off, I catch it, and I run back, and somebody pushes me out of bounds. And, and, and it was only a few feet from the out-of-bounds marker to the track, to the asphalt track that goes around. I didn't know this at the time. This is one of those scars that I actually, somebody had to fill in all of the blanks. This guy from the opposite side of the field started cursing at me, running full speed. Now, that's not real fast, but you know, once you get a big mass moving, then it kind of carries some momentum. He hits me, tackles me in this touch football game, out of bounds. First thing on my body that hit the track was my face. Broke my nose and ripped open above here, you know, and I'm just all dazed and like, oh man, you're bleeding, you know. By this time, I've been in the hospital so many times that when my friends, these senior girls take me to the hospital and, and they call my mom like, Miss Washburn, Doug's in the emergency room. She's like, oh, okay, can you bring him home when he's done? And they're like, um, they won't do anything till you get here and sign. And she's like, oh, let me see if I can find his dad. So I'm laying there bleeding on the table. And they have me covered up, you know, they have me prep to do the stitches and all that stuff, but they can't do anything until my parents get there. And dad walks in, hey, bub, what you doing? I'm like, just hanging, dad. We all have scars, right? I'm not even halfway done, man. We could do this all day. Well, we'll talk about that one another time. Uh, I almost got a scar filming this video. go try to get in the middle of that tunnel. That was my face in the middle and see if you don't get a scar or two trying to get back out of there. Fat man in the middle of a kid's tunnel. Now, here's the point. I can tell you stories about my scars. You can tell me stories about your scars. And you get a group of guys together and and start telling stories about scars and some dude, some guy will go, that's your story, man? That's a sissy scar. Stick their chest out. Check this bad boy out. We'll tell stories all day, right? Because we'll talk about our scars, our physical scars, and we all have them. But today I want to talk about a scar, a wounding that we aren't so quick to uh, share with other people. And I'm talking about the wounding or the scars of the heart, the scars of the soul. And we're going to talk about how we get these scars and, and things that we just don't share with other people because, quite honestly, we're embarrassed, we're ashamed at some of the stuff that's happened in our past, and we just don't want to share those things. Well, what I want to do today is I want to show you a process that, that if you begin to follow this process, you can get healed from all of the junk in your past. 
And it's, and it could start today, but you've got to be willing to recognize these things. So in step one, we're going to look at, at, at they. We've been talking about what did they influence you to do that you would not have done if they had not been around. Well, today we're going to look at they hurt me. This is number one on your listening guide. They hurt me. Do you know the primary way that, that people hurt us? It's not the physical thing. It's through words. Their words scar us. Their words hurt us. Your dignity and, uh, dignity and your value may have been severely damaged by what someone said in your life. And the Bible tells us this in, in Proverbs, that we've got to be careful with our words. Proverbs twelve eighteen, Careless words stab like a sword, but wise words bring healing. Today we're going to look at three particular words. We're going to look at they. We're going to look at what they said to me that hurt me. Then we're going to look at me. Look at you. The, the, the second pronoun we've got to look at is me. Because what they say can't really impact me unless I believe it. Unless I start repeating those words. So we're going to look at me. And then we're going to look at he. Remember we said the first week that the right they have he. Talking about God right in the middle of their lives. We're going to look at what he says about me. And that's the thing that really matters. But first let's look at they. Words they say to us. A parent, a teacher, a coach, some authority figure, a friend, a spouse. Someone you're dating. Words they say can wound us deeply. The Bible says that, that careless words stab like a sword. They hurt. And, and every one of us has heard and probably said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a pile of manure, right? Words, I know physical, broken bones heal. I, I, I've got lots of scars that have healed physically, but some shattered hearts never heal. So that's a lie straight from hell that, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. When I was 18, 17 or 18, you know, a lot of these stories start like that, don't they? When I was a junior or senior in high school, that was at, I was at the peak of my stupidity in my life. You could not have told me that because I knew everything. You want to know somebody in the world who knows everything? Go talk to a 17 or 18-year-old. They, they know everything. I love 17 and 18-year-olds, but they don't know it all. Anyway, when I was 17 or 18, Mom and I were having major conflict in our home. Uh, I was I was quite the rebellious kid, and I was quite the mouthy kid. And, and after Mom and I had had some type of argument, Mom says, I hate teenagers. Clenched teeth, I can still remember it. Now, I was pretty quick, pretty sharp-witted. I was the youngest of four children. I was the only child at home at this point, because my siblings are much older than me. I was a teenager. I was number three in my class. I graduated number three in my class. I had just been accepted to Baylor University. I was pretty quick. When she said, I hate teenagers, it wasn't a real far jump, real, real far stretch for me to go, teenagers, I'm a teenager, she hates me. And she might as well just slap me in the face physically because it shattered my heart. And it was years, years before I, I got over that. And when I left home, I was determined that I would not let her or another woman hurt my heart again. And it took several year, years to realize this wall that I put around my heart. And when I was a, a senior in college, I was a church music major when I was in college. And you had to declare a, an, an emphasis. My emphasis was vocal, so I sang. And, and so I had to go to voice lessons every week. And, and one of the things you had to do to graduate from college, at least the music school, was you had to go through a, a senior recital. 
Well, in preparation for that, they would, they would bring in different clinicians. It was called a guest clinician day. Well, I, because I was a senior, I was chosen to be one of the people who sang. And what they would do is they would fill up an auditorium bigger than this auditorium, and there would be students, and there would be faculty, and then this special guest would come in, and they would sit down near the front, and you would sing a song that your voice professor had chosen. So, you know, this was highbrow stuff. My dad, you know, just rolls his eyes anytime we talk about my, my education. Um, but, but I was singing a song in Italian. And it was a love song. And so I stood up and I sang and, and the clinician said, do it again. Because see, now I, I have to tell you, my, my Italian was very good. My diction was very clear. I'd studied that. The notes, I hit all of the notes. She said, I didn't feel a thing. This is a love song. Do you know this is a love song? I said, yes, ma'am, I know this is a love song. Do it again with feeling. And so I really think that I proceeded to do it exactly the same way again. Just just no feeling, just cold, calculated, got the notes, got the diction, you know. And she said, stop! And she stops me. You know, she's in front of all these people. And she goes, do you know what love is? Like I heard. No, I, I, I said, yes, ma'am. Now, this is the funny part because my girlfriend was sitting in the crowd. And she goes... Have you ever loved someone? I said, nope. Janie goes, she wasn't your girlfriend very long after that, was she? I said, no. And, uh, and I just, I never, I couldn't, I couldn't open up my heart to reveal that to anyone because of some painful words. Now, mom and I have talked about this and we talked specifically about this conversation and, and, and I have a different perspective on my mom now that, that I'm 44, about to be 45. Mom and I are great friends and I understand mom went through some stuff. Um, she was the oldest of eight kids and she watched her dad beat her mom and, and there's just some stuff in my mom's past. I didn't know when I was a teenager, when I was a buckethead. And so mom and I are tight nowadays, but, but those words shattered me when I was a teenager. And uh, so it took me so long to realize that. But, you know, then, then uh, I look back now, and, and any time a girl started acting like she liked me, I ran. Because I just, I couldn't do that. I couldn't open up my heart. I couldn't, couldn't do that with, with anyone. Something that happened so long ago messed me up. But it came to a point that I realized what was happening, and, and I dealt with it. I, I built a bridge, and I got over it. And see, that's what needs to happen in a lot of your lives today. You've been blaming mom or dad, or you've been blaming some dating relationship, or aunt, uncle, I don't know. We're, we live in a nation of blamers. And, and I'm not minimizing your pain. Please don't. I hear firsthand, on a weekly basis, what, what life is doing to some of y'all. And I, sometimes I go home and my heart aches in my chest because I hear what's happening to you. Some of it, it's too fresh. You can't deal with it like I'm talking about just yet. You've got to just start the process and deal with it. Some of you, though, you've been dealing with it for 20 years. You're stuck in something that happened 20 years ago, and it is ruining your life, and you've got to build a bridge and get over it. You see, when you take your hearts to God and to some trusted Christian friends, God does this miraculous thing. You maybe even need to go to Christian counseling. God turns your scars into stars. When you follow this process, God turns your scars into stars. And when you hold on to your wounds, they fester. Time does not heal the wounds of the heart. Time just makes them worse. It poisons your relationships. How many of you are Survivor fans? Anybody Survivor fans? 
we watch Survivor all the time. We started, I don't know, the third or fourth season. And so that's one of the things we do on Thursday nights. We watch Survivor. Well, the last two seasons on Survivor, someone has gotten a cut, you know, out there in the wilderness. And, and the bad thing about a cut is it can be infected. Two times, last two seasons, this has happened. They will, they'll get a cut. One guy had it on his knee and, and it just started developing this nasty looking wound and, and it started spreading. And so they call the medics in. The medics come in, they examine it and they say, um, you gotta go. They say, we need to get you to a hospital right now. We need to clean out that infection. We need to get it sewn up. We need to give you antibiotics right now. And the contestant always says, man, what happens if I don't? And so this lady looks at him. The last season, the lady looks at him and said, okay, if you don't go, the infection will spread to your bloodstream. And, and you could lose your limb. And you might die. Every time she says that, you might die if you stay out here. Suddenly, a million dollars doesn't look like such a big price. You know, what, what good is a million bucks if I'm dead? I mean, my family, whoo, thank you, Dad. They'll remember, but I don't get to spend it. So they, they decide that maybe it's a better idea to take care of this infection. Well, I want to submit to you today that a lot of you are dying a slow and painful death. And you're sucking the life out of all of your relationships. And people are struggling even to be around you because there's this huge... That sounds like Darth Vader. That's supposed to be a sucking sound. Um, this huge sucking sound that, that's associated with your life because you're taking all of your garbage into every relationship that you have around you. Now, I say all of this because here's the deal. The only way that they can hurt you is when you move on to step two. Step two is, I believe them. They say some really bad stuff about me and I believe them and I begin to repeat it in my life. They say things like, you're worthless, you're no good, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're an accident. The wrong they will say all kinds of horrible things to you to destroy you. But the only way I am damaged is when I transfer what they say to what I say about myself. Maybe I am stupid, maybe I am ugly, maybe I am an accident. Now... If you've done that, if you've repeated any of those things in your own life, if you've said that to yourself, maybe I am something that, that an authority figure said in your life. If you've ever said that, I want you to stop right now and, and I want you to say these words in your mind. I am a liar. If you've ever repeated something that they said to you about yourself, it could be about your looks, about your, your intelligence, you say, I'm a liar. What they said about me was a lie. And if I've repeated it to myself, I am a liar. Sometimes we accept the lies that they say about me, but sometimes we take it to another level. In an effort to determine our value, because when we walked away from God, when Adam and Eve walked away from God in the Garden of Eden, it, it snapped that secure relationship. And so humans have been running around trying to find something to make them feel valuable ever since. And we usually do that with other people. So what we've done is, sometimes we'll compare ourselves to others that are better than us at something. How fun is that? To say, man, I'm just not as good as them. That's, that's a recipe for depression. Other times, though, what we'll do is we'll find somebody that's not as good as us. So if, if, uh, if we find somebody that's not as good as us, then we feel better about ourselves. Well, I'm better than them, so I must be okay. Both of those things are a lie. If someone's better than you, it doesn't mean you're not okay. If you're better than someone, it doesn't mean you are okay. Those are a lie. Look what the Bible says about comparing ourselves to other people in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We do not dare to compare ourselves with those who think they are very important. They use themselves to measure themselves and they judge themselves by what they themselves are. This shows that they know nothing. 
There's another word, there's a term we use when someone knows nothing and it's ignorant. So I, I like to say that comparing ourselves to others is ignorant. And so now some of you are going, oh, great. Now you're telling me I'm ignorant. Aren't you supposed to be the right they? I mean, aren't you supposed to be saying nice things? Ignorance merely means you don't know the truth. You don't know the whole story. And so I'm trying to correct that flaw today. I'm not calling you ignorant, but I'm saying that type of thinking is ignorant. Look what Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 30. Oh, yeah, 31, 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue to obey my teaching, you are truly my followers. Then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Freedom from our past, according to God's word, comes from knowing Christ and obeying his commands. If you want freedom, that's what you've got to do. When we become enslaved to our past, we listen to the words they say and we download those words into our minds and we start to believe them and we repeat them. We receive them in our lives and they become like truth to us. But I I need to tell you this today. Did you know that truth is not an abstract um, thing that you suddenly discover? Truth actually has a name. Truth is a person, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me, John 14, 6. So he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The way to freedom is a person, Jesus Christ. The way, the truth about freedom is a person, Jesus Christ. The life of freedom is found in a person, Jesus Christ. So if we're going to move to a life of freedom, we have to move away from what they say. We have to reject those words that were lies that they said to me. So we move from they to me. we got to move to he, God, what God has to say about me. Every one of us has been wounded. We all have scar tissue, but really it's a scar issue. The issue is what are you doing with your scars? Those wounds that you're so worried about if somebody knows the truth. What are you doing with those things? Because to get over our past, we've got to reveal our issues to God. And and this is on your listening guide. Revealing our feelings is the beginning of healing. This is one of the basic premises of Celebrate Recovery. When you begin to share with the right they your junk from your past, and the right they reflects Christ to you, and they don't repel or recoil in horror from what you've just told them, and they love you and encourage you, man, there is power God can move in your life when you do that. Romans 8, 28, God tells us this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. Now, this does not say that God causes everything to happen because there's good stuff that happens in our world, there's bad stuff that happens in our world. It does not say that God is the author of evil. Do not try to read that into the Scripture. What this scripture says, though, is that God is so big and so powerful that he can take good things in our lives, he can take bad things in our lives, and he can work those out for good. If you read on to verse 29, it says, he molds us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The good he wants to do in your life is make you look more like Jesus Christ. So he takes those scars and he turns them into stars as he, first of all, heals you from it, but then he connects you with another person going through the same thing and you're able to walk with them through the very thing that you went through. That's how amazing God is. And that's what church is supposed to be, by the way. You want to know why people don't go to church? It's because they think they've got to cover everything up. What church really is, is coming and just revealing who you are and being loved for who you are. God loves you just where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He wants you to connect with him and with other people. God causes all things to work together for good. Okay, so the horrible wounds that my parents inflicted upon me. God can use that for good? Yes. 
The horrible scars from my dating life or someone maybe took, an, took advantage of me. God can use that? Yes. The terrible things that, that my divorce did to me and to my children. God can use that? Yes. Anything God can use to make someone look more like him. God causes all things to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In other words, if you want freedom from your past, you've got to know God and obey God. Because in God's economy, the equation, love, what love equals? Obedience. I hear people all the time, oh, I love God, but I hate church. I love God, but, you know, the Bible's boring. I love God, but, I love God, but, according to Jesus Christ, truth. Love equals obedience. Don't tell me how much you love God if you're not willing to obey what you already know about God. And you've heard me get, get sidetracked on this before, but I, I get so sick of people saying, oh, I just want more Bible study. I just need more depth. No, you don't. You're shallow enough as it is. What you need right now is to obey what you already know about God. You don't need another stinking Bible study. Just think if the people of God obeyed 95% of what they already know about God, would the church look differently? Any church, this church, any church. Yes. What you need is obedience. So don't, don't be bringing that weak trash around here. Okay. So how do I get over it? Real quickly. How do I get over it? There's four things. Reveal it. First thing you've got to do is admit you're hurt. When people come in here to celebrate recovery, a lot of times they're not admitting that they even have a problem. Sometimes we have couples come together and one couple, one of the spouses will come for the other and they'll tell you. They'll tell you for weeks, well, I'm just here because my spouse drugged me here. You know, that's the only way I can get them here, so that's why I came. And uh, I don't know how many times this has happened. In the year that I was involved in, in Celebrate Recovery, in the four or five years, are we at five years now? Five years we've been doing recovery. It's amazing. After so many weeks, someone coming and participating, you'll hear them go, man, I thought I came for my spouse and God showed me it was, it was me. I got issues. We're like, yeah, we know. Everybody knows it. You just won't admit it. Reveal it to God and then you've got to reveal it to the right they. You've got to re reveal it to some Christ-centered people. And the right they are in this church. Quit pretending you've got it all together. We know better. We're the most messed up church in Palestine. We know it. We admit it. So you can't fool us. And I'm not, I'm not saying we're the biggest, baddest sinners in town. But we are. We're just honest about that. So don't think you can fool us. Saying you got it all together. We know better. You're lying. You're in denial. Get into Celebrate Recovery. Or get into one of our brand new small groups that starts on September 13th. Get involved with the right they. I'm, I'm telling you, you, you won't regret it. So reveal it is the first thing. Second thing is record it. Now, this is where I guarantee I'm going to lose at least half of you. Because you're not going to do this. You're going to think, oh, that's stupid. But what if you'll listen, hang with me, I'll explain how this works. If you will record, write down the, the lies that they said, that they downloaded into your life, that you've begun to repeat, write those down. If they said you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're an accident, you're worthless, whatever it is, you write that down and you reveal that to God. So this is part of how you're doing it. You write that down and you say, God, I don't want to believe this. Um, you write all these things. Then number three, you reject it. Whatever that lie was, you say, this is a lie from Satan, 
my enemy, the one from hell who wants nothing more than my life to be a hell on earth, and then he wants me to spend eternity in hell with him. You say, this is a lie. And now here's the key. This is the key where you've got to move forward. Then above that lie, you write God's truth. And I'm going to tell you in just a second some of the things that God has said about you. I'm going to give you verses. We'll do that in just a second. But right above it, you write the truth about what God has said. If their words haunt you, then you need some new words. You need the words of Jesus Christ, truth himself, to come into your life and to free you from those lies. Then, number four, you repeat it. You reveal it. You record it. You reject it. You repeat it. Repeat what? You repeat God's truth. You repeat what Jesus Christ has to say about you. So what does he say? All right, here we go. First thing is, I'm acceptable. First thing that God says to you, the message he wants you to carry out of here today is you are acceptable. Those who are Christians have accepted Christ, but many of us don't realize that God has accepted us. Romans 15, 7. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could make us what? Acceptable to God. So many people are walking around, they're questioning their value God said that you are valuable, that he would transfer your sin to Jesus Christ that, so that you could be acceptable to him. Okay, I need a couple of volunteers. Shayla, Miriam, y'all come on up here. Do you see how they volunteered? All right, now, for the sake of argument, let's say that, that I'm God the Father. Now, I know I'm not God the Father because God the Father would be a better plumber. Okay, I'm, I'm real clear that I'm not... Yeah. I'm real clear that I'm not God, but just for this example, let's pretend that I'm God the Father. All right, this is Shayla. Everybody say hi, Shayla, because she's scared. All right, Shayla is Shayla. I'm God the Father. Shayla's who? All right, now, Miriam. Everybody say hi, Miriam. Miriam's going to be Jesus. Okay, let's see. Let's make sure we haven't gone too far. Who am I? God the Father. Who's she? Shayla. Who's she? Okay. Let's say that, that you come walking in here today, and you know I'm God the Father, only for this, this example. And you come up to me, and you say, hey, Doug, which one is more acceptable? Or, I'm sorry, hey, God the Father, which one is more acceptable? Shayla or Jesus? Which one do you value the most? Which one do you love the most? And, and most of you are going to go... That's a stupid question. Dad's going to like his son better. God's going to like his son better, right? You'd be wrong. Because Shayla is a follower of Jesus Christ. And what the Bible says is that God has taken Jesus Christ, his righteousness, and he's imputed that to Shayla's account. So all the riches of heaven, all the, all the things associated with being a child of God, God has transferred from Jesus Christ to Shayla. So when God looks at Shayla, he doesn't see all of her sin because it's been paid for. He sees her through the prism of Jesus Christ and they are equally as acceptable to God the Father. Nobody liked that. All right, thank you ladies. Y'all be seated. God says that if you are a child of His... You are equally as accepted in his sight as his son, Jesus Christ, is. So when God looks at you, he sees you. But more than that, he sees Jesus Christ. That ought to be some good news for some people walking around today wondering whether they are accepted. 
See, because according to Jesus, according to the Bible, no matter what you've done in your past, you can't be religious enough to be acceptable in God's sight. In fact, God gets tired of religion. You look in the scripture, Jesus condemned religious people more than he condemned sinners. So you write this truth. If somebody's told you that you're unacceptable, you write God's truth. I am acceptable above it. And you repeat it until you begin to believe it. Second thing that God says about you is I am valuable. The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. My son is all into cell phones. I am just so not into cell phones. Boy will save money and buy cell phones like crazy. And he's, and, and, you know, he's always like, Dad, I got a new cell phone. I'm like, yay. Uh, you know, he's, he's wanting something. And I'm just like, wow. So it's much more valuable to him than it is to me. Well, the cool thing is human beings don't determine your value. God says, I will bankrupt heaven because you are so valuable. I will take my son, my sinless son, and and I will send him to die on a cross to pay for your debt. That's how valuable you are. Luke 12, 24 says, look at the ravens. This is Jesus talking, by the way. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. So if someone's ever told you you're not valuable, you're worthless... You write that down and then over the top you write, I am valuable. And you put this scripture and I can give you a whole bunch more if you need that. Number three, I am lovable. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed how much he loved us by having Christ die for us even though we were sinful. Now, here's the thing. God tells you the truth. He says, yep, you're sinful. <laughs> but he doesn't condemn you for that sin. He says, you got a simple choice to make. You can, when you stand before God after you die, the simple choice that, that you need to make on this earth before you die, because I, I preach a lot of funerals, and at those funerals, it makes a difference whether that person lying in the casket has accepted Christ. I mean, quite honestly, the easiest funerals I do are people who have lived for Christ. And everybody knows it that's there. And we say, this isn't a goodbye, this is a see you later. We're going to see you in heaven. The, the hardest funerals I do are for people who are not Christians. Because I spend just a little bit of time talking about that person and then we move on because I don't want to dwell on where they are. I want to tell people who are there where they can make the decisions right now so that they're ready to go to heaven. Bible says that you are a sinner and what you decide before you die determines where you go after you die. If you, if you decide that you're going to stand before God based on your righteousness, well, I'm not that bad a person. Jesus is going to say, well, God's going to say, compared to whom? Because the comparison's not between you and somebody else sitting on your pew. You know, we might have a pretty good shot if it was between some of us in this room. If I just got to be better than some of y'all, y'all just got to be, we, that'd be pretty easy, right? Are you better than me? That, but that's, yeah. But that's not the comparison. The comparison is to the sinless Son of God. If you got one sin, you don't get into heaven on your own account. The only way is to get in on Christ's account. So God says, I love you so much that I'm going to die for you while you are lost in your sin. I'm going to die for you. You are lovable. He showed his love. Number four, I'm forgivable. This is, this is where we're going to find out if you're going to get healed from your past or not. If you'll declare the lies and then write God's truth over the top of it. I'm forgivable. Isaiah 43, 25. I am the one who erases all your sins for my sake. I will not remember your sins. Write it down. 
If someone says that, that your past is so bad that nobody can love you, nobody can accept you, you go to this and you say, well, you know, once I confess my sins, the Bible says that Christ wipes the slate clean. And, and although I may feel guilty about it and I may go back and pray, God, please forgive me of that sin I committed 18 years ago. If I've already confessed it, God says, what sin? I chose to remember that sin no more because it's been covered with the blood of my son. Write it down. Last one is I'm capable Now, by the way, I could give you 20 or 30 or 40 or however many you need, but we stopped at five today. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. If someone ever says you can't do something, you say, well, if Christ wants me to, I can. You've got to reject. You move from what they said about me. You you reject it and, and you quit saying those lies about yourself and you move to what he says about you. So write God's truth down. You've got to get God's perspective and you need people around you who have God's perspective. You know where you find those people? In this church, in small groups, celebrate recovery. We're just going to keep hammering this till all of you are in small groups. <laughs> That's right. There was a, a man walking through a circus one day and he looked behind one of the tents and he saw an elephant tethered to this big old stake with nothing but a little bitty bicycle chain. He saw the trainer stand there with him, so he walked up and he said, he said, man, that big old elephant, can't he snap that chain? You know, if he wanted to, couldn't he get away? And he goes, oh, yeah, sure he could. He said, the problem is, for the elephant, is I've, I've raised this elephant since he was very small. And when he was small, he wasn't strong enough to, to break the chain. So he'd tug on the chain and try to get away, and he couldn't. So now he spends his days walking around in a circle around this stake because he's been trained that he's not strong enough. I think we got some elephants in this room. I'm not talking about your weight. I think we got some folks who have been trained by the wrong they to believe they're not valuable, that they don't matter, that they're not lovable. And, and they're, they're carrying this junk into every relationship they have. They're sabotaging all of their relationships because of their past. They've believed a lie. Today, I want you to experience freedom. And it doesn't come overnight. Let me tell you this. If, if you've been buying the lie for 20 years, it, it, two days is not enough time. You've got to train yourself. And so we want you to get involved. Because we really believe that God has something better for your future than what's gone on in your past.